Well, next week, well, I'll be out of town. The following week, we'll start in the New Testament, either Galatians or Hebrews. I still haven't decided, which I'll need to do that soon, I suppose. Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the, the parcel of land belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the land of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in the former times in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witness this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Shilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witness this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witness. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid, her on, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Animadab. Animadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. 
we all like the idea of getting a reward. It's, it's nice. It's a nice idea for us. Uh, some of these rewards that we gain, we work for. We go to work and we work hard. We go to school and we, we work hard. We train maybe uh, for a sporting event or something and we work hard and we do our best and it is pleasing and it's good when the work that we've done has paid off. We feel a sense of gratitude and success in what we're doing. It's also nice when we receive a reward that's unmerited. Maybe you, you win a drawing or something is simply given to you. It uh, instills in you a sense of gratitude uh, in, in, in the grace that someone has given to you. We like the outcome. We like how it makes us feel about ourselves. We like uh, being affirmed in what we're doing. We like uh, the graciousness, this feeling of graciousness that is given to us. It can overwhelm us. Many things have unfolded through the book of Ruth. Last week we saw that Ruth discovered there was this kinsman redeemer closer than Boaz, one who had priority over him, and Boaz must now see what is to be done about this. But over and over, we see through this book provision. Boaz now wants to make sure that both Naomi and Ruth will be provided for. He is going to take care of it. He will go and see if this man will redeem Ruth and Naomi. There's a sense for us as we come to the conclusion of this book that we don't want this to happen. If this were on the silver screen, if it was a movie, we go, no, this can't happen. Boaz and, and Ruth, that's who's supposed to end up together. Not this third party. It's this great twisting of events. Boaz must be the man for Ruth. But when it's all said and done, we see that the story is so much greater than Boaz and Ruth, isn't it? It's so much greater. It's not just about God's covenant faithfulness to Naomi. It's about God's covenant faithfulness to all of Israel. God is preparing one who would be king. This is something when you start the book of Ruth and if you know nothing about it, you would never expect that twist at the end. Oh yeah, and by the way, Ruth the Moabite, she's going to be like the great-grandmother of David, King David, the Psalms King David. King David, who was this great king of Israel. It's like what the... It's like what the, the Hobbit is to the Lord of the Rings. You're like, oh, the Hobbit's a great story. And then, oh, but there's so much more going on. It's like you couldn't, you're so surprised by the ending. And so as we come and we look at the reward here at the end of, of the chapter, or the book of Ruth, we're going to see three things. First, the reward secured. Second, the reward given. And third and finally, the reward inherited. The reward secured, the reward given, and the reward inherited. Boaz wastes no time in finding a solution to the problem. He goes to the city gate. He waits for this man to come along. And he says, come here, sit down with me at the city gate. He gets 10 men and his witnesses. And what's the significance of this? Why, what is the big deal with the city gate? The city gate in this time was the place that business took place. You would, you would go there. There would be, it would be official. 
An agreement you made there could not go back on. And so this man comes along, and I want you to notice something. We don't get his name. In fact, the, as one commentator says, the, the Hebrew, if we were going to use our language today, would literally call him Mr. So-and-so. This guy over here, Mr. So-and-so. He's so inconsequential at this point that he doesn't even get a name. And he comes among the witnesses, and notice here, he doesn't talk about Ruth. He talks about Naomi. It's like saying, hey, cousin, we have, you know, Naomi over here, and she's got this land, and she, she needs to take care of herself, so we got to sell it. And I, I understand that you're older than me, so uh, you have the right to buy this land first, if you'd like to buy this land. But if, if you're not going to do it, tell me, and, and I'd like to buy this land. And at this point, Mr. So-and-so says, hey, this is a pretty good opportunity. I can get some land. I'm going to get some land. Yeah, that, that sounds great. I'll take the land. Give me the land. This is win-win for me. And he says, yeah, I'll take the land. Boaz goes, all right, well, just so you know, when you take the land, you also get Ruth. And what you need to do for Ruth, according to the law of Moses, is you need to provide an heir for her. And if you provide an heir for her, the natural thing would be that heir would then take over that land. Oh. So what you're saying is I have to put my own reputation at risk, and at the end of the day, I may not even get the land if I provide a child for Ruth. No, that, that's not such a good... The whole, like, it was too good to be true just came too good to be true, right? No, that's not okay. I, I want the land, but I don't want all that it comes with to be a true redeemer for Naomi. It's far too much for him to handle. He's not the same sort of man as Boaz. He doesn't want to take the risk of marrying this woman. So instead of being gracious towards Ruth, he sought to protect himself. He says, if I did that, that would affect my inheritance. I'm going to protect myself first. I'm going to take care of me and mine. And so I don't, I don't want to do any part of this. And in protecting his inheritance, look what he gained. I'm standing here today some many, many years later calling him Mr. So-and-so because we don't know his name. He's, he's just a blip on the radar of history. But who do we remember? Boaz, the great-grandfather of King David. He seeks to protect himself, but he misses out on something so much greater. He misses out on having a place in God's plan of salvation. Because this is what was going to happen to the man who married Ruth. He would be indeed the great-grandfather of a king. This man would get a hard worker in Ruth, a, a woman of good character. But he also gains reputation. God has a different means 
by which he measures what is important. And we are far too often like Mr. So-and-so. What is there to be gained for me? What is there to be gained for me? And this tends, can tend to be the approach we use to evangelism and ministry. What is in it for me? The book of Ruth causes us to reevaluate our motives. Because God and his kingdom have a different standard than this world. The thing that fills us, that we fill ourselves up with, has to change. And we see this as a theme throughout the book. Naomi filled herself with what she thought was earthly security. I will go to Moab with my husband. I will marry my sons off to Moabite women. And if she had not lost everything, she would never have grown in her understanding of the Lord. If she went off to Moab and everything was great there, her husband never died, they were full, she married these, her sons off, they had many children, she would be content in the knowledge that she knew better than God. She had to empty herself so that she may be filled with truth. Boaz, in contrast, had, had filled his heart with something different. He had a heart for the poor. There was nothing calculating about his generosity. If I give to this person, what will I gain from it? The Lord's way is a different kind of way. He trusted God rather than seeking a name for himself. And in doing so, God gave him a name. Mr. So-and-so has no name. So Boaz, as was the custom, I'm sure if I did this now, I walked up to Mark and said, hey, here's my shoe. I'd like those potatoes that you've made. <laughs> it seems silly, but that's how they did it. And he took his shoe off. He put his sandal in the man's hand and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going, to take Bo, I'm going to take Ruth and I'm going to take the land and I'm, she's going to be my wife. Boaz did not seek anything but to obey God. And in doing so, he received great reward. Uh, immediately, even before the marriage, we see that he receives the praise of the men at the gate. These are the elders of the city. <clears throat> it's a, it's a, if you were to go and say, who are the most important people of Pell City? And you're sitting there somewhere downtown and you make this business deal and they go, that guy right there, that's a good business deal. He is a, a good man. We should bless him. And this is what happens. They bless his marriage to Ruth. And you would think this blessing was probably somewhat uh, a common thing for them to say. But there's so much going on. Where is it? He says, all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witness. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. They said, would she be like Tamar who bore Perez? Notice what they're doing here. Do not, be, this, do not let this be lost on you. 
they are giving a blessing that would be given to an Israelite upon a Moabite woman. There's this sense now where full acceptance has come for Ruth. And you would think that this is just kind of a common blessing for them, but it meant so much more for this couple, this couple who would indeed become famous and remembered. So Boaz receives the reward of the praise of the people at the gate, but he also receives the reward of Ruth. He now has a wife, and and then God comes in and provides conception of a son. This is only the second time in the book of Ruth that we have God actively doing something in the foreground. It it says in 1.6 that he gave the people food, and it says here that he gave Ruth and Boaz a son. In both instances, he's bringing redemption for the people. And I love how the story ends here. The story ends with Grandma Naomi sitting with little grandson on her lap. Can you imagine that point for Naomi? And and we have traveled a long distance in four chapters, haven't we? They went all the way to Moab. They spent 10, 15 years there. They came all the way back. And this woman who was dejected and empty and her grandson sits on her lap it's this wonderful picture of God's faithfulness even in this as he gives this reward to Naomi the emptiness that she had has been made full this is God's grace to her throughout this book we see many rewards given Ruth receives Boaz. Boaz receives the praise of his peers. Naomi receives a grandson. And from this, we see that God often blesses us in ways we don't expect or deserve. God often blesses us. I remember coming out of, into college and dated some in college, went into seminary and so on and so forth. And I came here, it would be five years ago next Sunday or two Sundays from now that I was ordained in this church. And I came here a single man and out of nowhere, God gave me a wife and two children. When God blesses us as we seek to serve him, and I was honestly at the point in my life, I was 32 years old. 30, somewhere in there, where I was like, you know what? I'm going to be content in the fact that God does not have marriage in the cards for me. And God blessed me with a wife and children. And his blessing does not always come the way we expect. It sometimes comes through pain and loss. It sometimes comes through hunger and waiting. But God will bless us as we seek after him. And this is not some sort of magic bullet. Oh, if I seek after God, I'm going to receive blessing. So I seek after God to receive blessing. But we have to remember that God does bless us. God is always at work. He's working all things for our good. And we are to trust that he is working, knowing that he is a father who loves to give gifts. He gives us rewards. And sometimes, like Naomi, it comes through pain and suffering. And sometimes, like Boaz, it comes through faithfully seeking after him and his blessing us as we seek him. But at the end of it all, we see that it's so much more 
than a love story between Ruth and Boaz. God has been providing something far greater. Yes, he has fulfilled an immediate need. But it ends with a genealogy. Ruth, Boaz would father Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. We see the theme of blessing, of name, of offspring, of building of the house of Israel. And these are themes that would have resonated with God's people. It is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham that I will provide for you a people that outnumber the stars. Ruth becomes a, a, a foretaste of what we see in Christ and his coming for the nations, not just for specific people of Israel. And it really is striking here. We see a comparison being made between Ruth and Tamar. Do you know much about Tamar? Tamar was an interesting lady. Tamar, much like Ruth, was an outsider of God's covenant. She was a Canaanite woman. She married into a family under dubious circumstances. She married the son of, of uh, Judah. And her son died, or her husband, I should say, died. Because he was disobedient to God. That's kind of where the similarities end. Tamar concealed her identity from Judah. She played the role of a prostitute. She received a child outside of marriage. This is a far different story than Ruth. But the end result for both were children. Both who would play a role in God's plan of redemption. Perez was a son that came from that union. Perez, who was in this lineage as well, of David. And if we go to Matthew even and, can, and consider the genealogy of Jesus, there's three women listed. Do you know who those three women are? Tamar the Canaanite, Rahab the prostitute, Ruth the Moabite. Three women listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And just to be fair, the men are no better. Judah who went and slept with a prostitute. David, who arranged for Bathsheba's seduction and the murder of her husband. Manasseh, who is the greatest idolater among the kings of Judah. In the lineage of Jesus is the great masses of the unwashed. Jesus comes to save people from their sins. He doesn't come to save the sinless. He came to rescue us from our sins. People like his own ancestors. Jesus came from a long line of sinners in a way, didn't he? His ancestors were these horrible, terrible people at points. But he comes as the sinless one. This is how he would save sinners, by identifying with them, but coming without sin. He then takes our place, going where we deserve to go to suffering the punishment of God and sending us to a place we never deserve to go, preparing for us heaven. At the end of the day, the love of Jesus is far greater than the love of Ruth and Boaz. It was an amazing love. He didn't show it to the lovely. He showed it to the unlovely. He showed it as he was raised from the dead. He was given the name above all names and 
History will never confuse Jesus with Mr. So-and-so, Mr. No-Name. He has been given a people for himself, the family of God's people stretching across continents and centuries. He's the king of all. And yet there are many still who do not know him, who do not know his love, and their own works will testify against them. They glorify in themselves. They fail to give him glory. And the kingdom of God stands before them. If you are apart from Christ, you must come to the foot of his cross. You must know his love. Knowing that his work is being done for and in his children. And that he will not stop until that work is accomplished. And then we likewise are to be like Christ and to become friends of sinners. Would Ruth the Moabite be welcome in our doors? I say that, and you may, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Would someone, let me say it this way, who was thought of as worse than a prostitute be allowed in these doors? Is this church a safe place for sinners to come? Or do we only welcome those who are already somewhat religious? The church, not this this church, but the church at large, must be welcoming. This is what Ruth did for Naomi. This is what Boaz did for Ruth. And this is what Christ has done for us. He came to us, the unwashed masses, the wholly unlovely, and said, I love you and I will die for you. I will redeem you, even though you seem unredeemable. And he has given us an inheritance. He has made us co-heirs. He says, you are now sons and daughters. You share in my inheritance that comes from God. You are children of the God most high. This is what the book of Ruth is about. It's about redemption coming for, quite frankly, those who do not merit redemption. What did Naomi do to deserve her redemption? Over and over again, we're reminded of the fact that she fought the redemption that God was giving her. God had placed her in the land of promise, and she left. God had removed uh, things from her so that she would see him. God gave her Ruth, and Ruth, even as she pledged her life, she said, I am empty. Call me Mara. Ruth went to work for her and brought her food. She didn't deserve it. She didn't deserve to have Ruth. But God gave her. Ruth did not deserve Boaz, but God gave him to her. The story of Ruth, the book of Ruth, is a story of redemption. And in Christ, or in Ruth, we see a glimpse of the story of Christ. Christ has secured for us a reward. He has secured for you a reward. And he did this by coming in the flesh, living a life that we could not live. Christ has given you his reward. Through his suffering on the cross, through his death and resurrection, through his ascending into heaven, he has secured for you 
the greatest reward you can ever have, greater than any promotion, greater than any game victory, greater than anything. He has secured for you the greatest reward that there is. And he has secured for you an inheritance. If you are in Christ, then you are right now this morning sons and daughters of the God Most High. You have been adopted. Just as my children sit here and their last name is Levengood, that cannot change. They are my children. And God has adopted you. If, if you are his, you are his children. You bear his name. That is certain. When he says, I am going to prepare a place for you, that is certain. You have an inheritance that you get to look forward to. It's an eternity. So even today, we, we've talked about Nancy and we mourn for Nancy. But guess what? Nancy has her inheritance. She's with her father in heaven. She gets to be before his throne and say, you are Abba, Father. And I come and give you praise. She has received her inheritance. Do we long for that inheritance? To be in the presence of God. For him to come again. This has been secured for you. Ruth, Ruth didn't know David would be king. She didn't know that her son Obed would father Jesse. And she didn't know that Jesse would father David. But she had an inheritance secured for her because of her faithful obedience to God. Because of Boaz's faithful obedience to God. And in the whole while, resting and trusting in what God was doing. Resting and trusting in what God would do. Ruth comes as a Moabite and she doesn't get all the ins and outs. She doesn't know that necessarily the history of Israel. She doesn't know, oh, God is preparing one who would come, a Messiah. But she comes and she rests and trusts faithfully. We are to do the same. We are to understand what is ours in Christ. We are to extend his grace and mercy to those around us. And we cannot be complacent. We cannot be complacent. Either in our faith, as we come before him, or in telling others about what we have received. We must respond in repentance and faith, in obedience to what he has called us to do. To indeed go into all the world making disciples of all nations. Would we hear his words today? Would we come in faith? Would we rest and trust in him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning and we humbly ask that you would renew in us the embers into flame of our first love, the love Jesus has for us. Would we rest and trust in his love? Would we Allow it to shine forth in our lives. We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.